Welcome back to Let's Talk About God podcast. You like that cadence? Let's Talk About God podcast. Yeah, what was that? I don't actually know. I, it's at the point where we've done this so much, I can't just say it. Let's like Talk About God podcast. Like I have to just say something stupid. Just, just mix it up. Mix it up. Yeah. Well, our listeners are, you know, probably every week just waiting. You know, I'm going to get, I, I'm, I'm going to work on German. I'll try to get a German. That's good. Intro. That way we're kind of. Something like that. You know, I don't know. I'm, yeah, it'll probably sound like that. I can speak French, but I don't know how to say let's talk about God in French. It can't be that hard. Let's talk about, wait, I was doing syllables, not words. Let's talk about God. There we go. That's four words. It, it's, it's, it wouldn't be, well, let us. Because let's is a contraction. Other languages don't contract? I don't think so. You know, that's a that's an interesting question. We need to, like, research that. I always we, thought we Spanish do. had, like, a version of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> right. in, South, in South Mexico, in Southern Mexico, they say y'all. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They eat barbecue tacos. I'm going <laughs> to have to go back and talk to my Spanish teacher. Because I am almost sure they have, like, fried, because obviously not y'all, but, like, a, a way of saying y'all. Fried okra tortillas. <laughs> that actually sounds good. I'm not, I'd eat that. With a side of grits. Ooh. That, I mean, I'd, I'd go for it. Hermanos y hermanas, y'all. That is not working. This is getting out of hand. I feel like our listeners are having to suffer through this conversation right now. They expect it. They they expect it. We will not disappoint them. (laughs) The reason they're having to suffer through right now is because our wonderful topic today is on suffering. I even missed your little segue. I completely missed it. I was totally still in South Mexico right now. That was was, it was so smooth and so sneaky. Yes. You didn't even know it. I just that was really good. That was probably one of your better ones. Today we're gonna talk about suffering and we're gonna look at it from a, a biblical worldview. And um, while that may sound like a terrible podcast, it actually, uh, hang in here with us, because I think you're going to find it's going to be enlightening and it's going to be really, really helpful. Because the reality is we live in a broken world Mm -hmm. and everybody suffers. And if you are one of those rare folks who, who thus far in your life, it has gone smoothly and you can honestly say, I haven't really had anything really bad happen to me. First of all, good for you. Mm, yeah. Count your blessings. Second, you just keep on living. <laughs> just keep on living. <laughs> and one of these days, you're going to join the club with the rest of yeah. us and find out that if you live long enough, you're going to suffer. Yeah. And if you live for Jesus, I'm going to go so far as to say you should suffer. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I actually read in my devotions today in First Thessalonians, and I thought it was so cool because I knew we were going to talk about this, that Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, don't be shaken by these afflictions that you are going under. And then this is what he said, Evan, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Wow. So that's why I said you will, not you might. Mm-hmm. You will, because when you live for Jesus Christ, and he went on to talk about tribulations, is you're going to suffer for Jesus. Yeah. So 
is, well, is that a terrible thing, a bad thing? I still don't want to, I don't want to hear a podcast about suffering. Well, yeah, because if it's going to happen, then let us help you today. Let's talk about it, about how you can endure it. Mm-hmm. and the benefits that come from it. I think a, a lot of good could come out of today. Yeah, at the end of the day, this isn't going to be one that's just depressing where we just like wail and moan about suffering, but it's really the hope of Christ through suffering, which is the whole gospel story. Christ yes. makes his way through suffering and then uh, defeats it. And so that's that's the end of our star- story too. And so we want to know how to suffer well like Christ and then reach victory on the other side of it, because we know that's coming. Okay, so now it's my turn. We'll mix it up. Let me ask you, since this is our modus operandi. Oh, man. What is your 30-second definition of suffering? I didn't even write one down. So I don't have like a technical definition. All right, I'll give you mine. But, okay. All right, so mine is basically enduring an unpleasant experience or affliction. I mean, yeah. That's that's, pretty broad. That covers it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we have to go into any more crazy detail or anything like that. But yeah, something that's unpleasant, something that's uncomfortable, something you don't want to happen. Well, I, and I think too, and I don't think we're getting ahead of ourselves. I really think we're kind of plowing the ground here to, to mm-hmm. plant the seed. When you think of suffering, I've already alluded to it, so I'll be brief. There, We live in a broken world. Mm-hmm. So to me, there are like three kinds of suffering. And these are my categories, and they may not be all-inclusive, but they're pretty close. One, there's just suffering that happens in life. Life just happens. I think you preached on this recently. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes just living in this world, stuff happens. Then sometimes we do stupid things, and we bring it on ourselves. So it's the consequences of, of bad decisions. Yeah. All right? Uh, then there are there there is the suffering that— um, that can come through living for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. So broken world, somebody can be mean to you, hurt you. You can break your leg cause you trip and fall. Uh, that's our, you know, our mm-hmm. actions. We make a wrong decision and we go into bankruptcy because we push too fast, too hard on a business deal. Yeah. We didn't cover all there. Think the, and then there is that third category of suffering, you know, just getting sick. Yeah. You know, Can't or somebody dying, all these things. So the thing is, um, there, if you live in for Jesus, all you're going to experience all three of those. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and the goal is to avoid uh, suffering you cause <laughs> right? as much as possible. But the other two, they're going to happen. And I think and that's where the wisdom. And we haven't even got in our notes. Yeah, yet. Well, this is all just intro. Sorry. But this is well, no. But I mean, <laughs> this is why we do this. And I think that's where the wisdom of God comes in. And like the Book of Proverbs, mm-hmm. this is where the Book of Proverbs really shines. Because the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and the Bible says the chief thing is to get wisdom. Above all, get wisdom. And one of those main reasons, besides the spiritual aspect of it, is just common day, every common sense, everyday wisdom will keep you safe. Yeah, it'll help you from making those bad choices. So don't co-sign a note with somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't get yourself in, in, in the debt of somebody else. Yeah. Proverbs says that two or three times, is if you've done that, go get out of that deal as fast as possible because that's a bad thing to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that'll get you in trouble, and if it does, you're going to suffer financially. Okay, honor your father and mother that, you're, that, it, that you, your life may be long upon the earth. There's a promise. Well, it doesn't mean that if you honor your father and mother, God, God just says, boop, all right, you get to live 88 years. <laughs> Is the point is because you obey your parents, your parents protect you and they teach you 
wise things yeah. and what to do. Don't don't run, chase a ball out in the street. Look well, look both ways before you cross the road. Don't stick something metal in the in the socket. Your parents protect you, and so if you obey your parents, you'll live longer. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's wisdom there, and I think that's where that speaks to the wisdom of the Bible and the wisdom of God, just everyday wisdom. Mm-hmm. You can avoid that kind of suffering. Yeah. But absolutely. living in a broken world or living for Jesus, I don't guess you can really avoid that one, can you? It's unavoidable. Some people have it worse than others, um, and maybe we can talk about that just a little bit, but at the end of the day, you can't, you can't avoid it. So, all right, well, let's begin our look at the Bible, uh, kind of where we get our idea of suffering. So we need to look at the fall, because here's the reality. When God created everything, he created it and said that it was good. God did not include suffering as a part of uh, creation. It wasn't a part of his intention, of his design. Suffering is bad. It's a result of the sin, um, of, of the fall, rather, and a result of sin. So Genesis three sixteen through 19 gives us a picture of the suffering we have, specifically as genders and, and as humanity. It says, he said to the woman, I'll intensify your labor pains. You'll bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you've listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and, th- and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. Now, we don't want to take it so literally that the only two kinds of suffering are labor pains and working out in the heat, but it's clear that those, those are, are literal repercussions and that it shows the fallenness and the brokenness and the suffering that comes along with the rest of the fall, which is eventually you will die. You're going to struggle in this life, and it's going to overtake you, and you're going to return back to the dust. You're not in paradise anymore. So in this case, sin or disobedience to God is the cause of worldwide suffering, of the, yeah. of the, of the per- perpetual ubiquitous suffering of mankind. Yeah. And um, I think what, what I see is that what should have been pleasant things, like um, my, my daughter-in-law, your sister-in-law is— as of the time of this recording, we are all sitting with the phones the close <laughs> because she is starting to have contractions. Yeah, and so Mary Beth is going to have my third grandson here, and so we're all keeping our phones close. Mm-hmm. Um, but what should have been painless and pleasant became painful. Yeah, and difficult labor. We are designed to work, and what should have been a joy and a, and, and pleasant was now going to become a difficulty and a struggle yeah. because of sin. What what should have been life eternal became a life of death mm-hmm. that you live knowing it's going to end one day. I'm going to die from dust you came to dust you're going to return. Mm-hmm. So even with Adam and Eve's marriage, the, the Lord said that there's going to be conflict between the man and the woman. Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, there's a there's a, 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 just in the fall— you see the initiation of what should have been pleasant. Mm-hmm. Isn't, it, isn't it, see how it is? No, absolutely. That sin takes what should have been pleasant and enjoyable, turns it into suffering and sorrow. And it's and it's so the way I look at, at talking about birth is a hopeful thing because it's a lot of suffering and a lot of sorrow, but then it produces life. But then, in, in the other hand, when we look at Adam, 
He is working so hard to produce food and various things to stay alive, and it will ultimately end in death. And so there's kind of this contrast there. Um, but, we're, you know, we're, we're grateful for the, the, the boy born of the woman who came to save us uh, so that we don't have to live in that. But I think that it's interesting, too, um, that all of creation suffers because of our sin, that as the vice regents over creation, as the stewards over creation, when we sinned and when we fell, creation fell with it. And so we were supposed to steward this good creation, and we darkened all of it with our sin. And so now we have to live in the aftermath of our decision as the stewards of creation that we stewarded it wrong and we sinned against God. Yeah, thorns and thistles. I love to say that. Thorns and thistles, you read. And there, there, just think there were supposed to be no thorns and thistles. And yeah. if you have ever got in a briar patch or ever stepped on a thorn, or what, it, it hurts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you suffer. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it's, 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 it's too bad that, uh, that what happened in this world, you know, sh- should we have tsunamis? Are mosquitoes even supposed to be around? I know, right? Makes you wonder if God created things or if they were like, <coughs> mosquitoes me. were happy bugs that you wanted to be around. And then... <laughs> they're like fire ants. <laughs> and then now they're evil. You know what I yeah, mean? Fire, they ants, new or? <laughs> e- fire ants are evil. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the various things in creation that we see are, are a result of the fall of our first parent's sin. And, and that's why we have to live in it. So if Adam and Eve had not sinned, would there be suffering? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I believe suffering is a, it's a symptom on your way to death. It's a symptom of being separated from God, from the life of God, and it's a symptom on your way to death and in a dead world. And you're speaking broadly now, because if you're a Christian, you're not separated by God by sin. Exactly, you're just saying in as a result of the fall. But even as a Christian, our bodies were still born in sin, and the world is still fallen. And X, Y, Z. You know, we're waiting for the fullness of redemption. So we still kind of, obviously, that's what this episode is about: feel the suffering. But if there was no sin at all, no suffering, everything would have been perfect. And when that which is perfect shall come, when God makes all things new. Mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say there'll be no more suffering. In fact, I think the picture that you get, especially in Revelation, is that the new heavens and the new earth is a new paradise. Mm-hmm. It's a new Eden. There's a tree of life that there is, everything is restored, is the picture that we get. And so Eden is kind of the, 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 the paradigm, the, the archetype or whatever we get to return to. I think you're right, because um, I'm, and I'll, I'll have to look for it. But I mean, because doesn't it say that like all sorrow will vanish away? That Every tear will be wiped away. Oh, here, yeah, okay. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things that passed away. That's suffering. Yeah, all gone. That, that, I mean, if you're going to just say, if you want to wrap it up, that's suffering. So, you know, one day it will all be gone. That's good. All right, let's look at kind of the rest of the Old Testament before we move on to the New Testament. So let's look at the Pentateuch. Um, go peep our episode on the Pentateuch. I don't remember the number, but just scroll down. We actually have one on the first five books of the Bible, yes. the Old Testament. think that you would enjoy that. 
So there's many famous accounts of suffering in the Pentateuch. So the Bible doesn't stray away from it, even you know early on. So we've got the famous story of Joseph, who's sold into slavery. Well, he's got this whole life of suffering, but we know that he conquers. Or we think about Israel as a nation. Their entire history, especially early on, uh, has to do with suffering. They're enslaved to Egypt, and then God has to go and set them free. And so the Bible doesn't shy away, but it, it kind of makes it the foundation of human existence. There is suffering, and the only one we can trust to deliver us from that suffering is God. There's also, and this is kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, there's a promise of suffering if Israel is disobedient. So God's never going to abandon his people, but he would subject them to kind of a parental punishment in order to bring them back. Deuteronomy 8.5 says, Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. And we even see in Judges, there's kind of that format of, they're serving God, and then they're not serving God, and then they're judged, and then you know they're under punishment, and then a judge has to rise up to call the people back to repentance, and it's just the cycle. And they're delivered. And they're delivered, but then it gets worse and worse it's and worse. Cycle. Yes. It just keeps happening. And, yep. and so that's, that's kind of the, the format of Israel where their sins, they don't go unpunished, and they don't go undisciplined, and so our sins will find us out. And so right. that's early on there in the Old Testament as well. Let's look at the wisdom books. So one-third of the Psalms are laments. They regularly deal with suffering and especially the question of why am I suffering while the wicked prosper? Um, Psalm 73, 16 says, when I try to understand all of this, it seemed hopeless. And so it's basically impossible to know God's ways. Why am I suffering and Joe down the street isn't suffering and he's a terrible person and I'm a Christian and X, Y, Z. And I would encourage you, too, that if you have some of those questions or if you're in the midst of suffering, go read the Psalms, especially the lamenting songs. They're very personal. They're very poetic. They're very emotional. And you're able to actually kind of insert yourself into the song and psalm and make that prayer your prayer and, um, I guess, empathize with what the prophet was going through in and, that psalm. And let's talk about something right here, Evan. There, there was a theology— that persisted all the way up to even Jesus' time mm-hmm. among the Jews, that if you were blessed, like if you had good things happening in your life, you were blessed by God. If you had bad things happening in your life, you were cursed by God. That's right. So there was this concept that if something bad was happening to you, then you sinned. Remember the guy was born blind, yeah. and he said, who sinned? Did he sin or his parents? Jesus said neither. Neither one. Yeah. And so it was just, he was born blind. It was mm-hmm. the suffering of life. And so I, I want to just say to our, to our listeners, um, don't, don't, who I'm really feeling this, don't develop a theology that says, just because I serve the Lord or just because I live for God, that I'm not going to have anything bad happen to me. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's an erroneous theology. Yeah. I have been with people who've had a, 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 and I've had this happen recently, so this is coming to my mind. This particular case, there was a spouse. The spouse was dying, and the, the other spouse said to me in, in a moment of grief, so I knew it was grief talking, mm-hmm. he, he's been such a good man and served the Lord. I don't understand why he has to suffer like he's doing. Yeah. And I and that that's not the time for a pastor to 
to go into apologetic mode and say, <laughs> I need to correct you. You know, you just let them talk. They're, they're, yeah. they're in the midst of the trial. Yeah. You just stand there with them and love them. But that's part of the struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll tell you the one that's been harder. I have seen people who were shallow in their faith, maybe not even really saved. But And then I've seen some who are supposed to be strong in the Lord that their parent will get sick or die. And they mm-hmm. won't wail and moan and groan. Okay, well, we wail and moan and groan and grieve. But they wail and moan and groan saying this. Why did God take my daddy? Why did my daddy have to die? My daddy was a good man. My daddy served the Lord. Why didn't God heal my daddy? God should have healed my daddy. My daddy shouldn't have suffered. And and so, they'll, they're again, they're appealing to, I've lived for the Lord. My daddy served the Lord. My daddy shouldn't suffer. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch a nerve on maybe some people listening. I think that's incredibly selfish. Yeah. I think what you're saying is not that my daddy shouldn't suffer because my daddy's a Christian. What you're saying is I miss my daddy and I wish my daddy was still here. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to come up with reasons why my daddy, I wish my daddy, it's very selfish, very self-centered, but now you want to blame God as if God did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so that's a wrong theology. And again, it takes you down wrong paths. Is this making sense? I think it's fantastic. And yeah. so, and so you don't ever need to have it but just because you're born again. Look, the son of the living God, we're going to get into this. The son of the living God suffered. Yeah. So are, are any of us better than him? Okay. He suffered. Yeah. And he, he, we're going to get into this. I'm going to, I'm going to make one thing. We'll come to He's a He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's part and parcel of life. Make sure you don't have a theology that you're trying to say, that shouldn't happen to me. But what's mm-hmm. the first thing you do when something bad happens to you? What's the mm-hmm. first thing you say? I can tell you what it is. What did I do wrong, God? <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, that's one of the things. What did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. And then the second th- question we ask is, why me? Yeah. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. See, and we try to justify, well, there are times when you don't deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. It just happens. It, it happens. It's just it's part and parcel of life. So I think, I think that when you come back now to the Psalms, David went through that. David mm-hmm. David dealt with that. There was that theology that bad things aren't supposed to happen to me because I'm saved. And then when it does, why me? And then well, meanwhile, why is Joe having it so good? Joe mm-hmm. should be, Joe's a sinner. Joe should be cursed of God. Why does it seem like Joe's blessed? And David said, I had to go to the house of the Lord. And he mm-hmm. said, then I got the perspective. And he said, I realized Joe may be blessed now, but one of these days Joe's going to die and Joe's going to spend eternity in hell. Yeah. But when I die, I may suffer here for a short time, but I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to spend eternity with God. Yeah. And so David said, then I got my perspective right. And then David said, I really started looking too, is <clears throat> in, <clears throat> excuse me, in certain things they're blessed. But if you just look deeper, <clears throat> excuse me, they have a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And so anytime you think, well, why is that sinful person? They, it seems like they got, I, I'm going to go back into sin. Because, man, they, they look like they got it. You're not seeing the fights, the drunken fights he's having or she's having with her spouse. You don't see the kids living under uh, abuse. You don't see behind closed doors. You don't see the internal suffering this mm-hmm. guy's got. You don't know what, what disease he may have. He doesn't even know he's got a heart condition. It's, it's all a thing I think the devil uses. And that's why I think this, again, this subject mm-hmm. today is so important is just because you're suffering and you see somebody else, and you shouldn't compare I mean, I know I've been going through things, and I've seen other preachers, and it looks like they just had everything going with them, right for them. And then that can sometimes make things even worse. But mm-hmm. everybody goes through something. I'll tell you right now, 
I'm talking a lot today. The people <laughs> on television, like these TV preachers. That's okay. exactly where my mind was Is going Is that where next. you're going? Yeah. Okay. Be, be, yeah, I'm not, I mean, I pastor a church in Anderson, South Carolina. Okay, I don't pastor a mega church. You know, our church mm-hmm. runs, we got a church, eight, 900 people, which is a large church. But I, I am connected. I'm not connected like some people, but I can tell you right now, I can name three preachers on television that I'm that I know. Okay, um, I've known them for years. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I can tell you right now, if I if I would say their names, all three of these preachers, uh, all three of them have had marital problems. Mm. That the average person watching them, the people in their church, people watch them on TV. They just, they're writing the books. They're the ones that, if I said their names, you'd be shocked right now. I can tell you all three of them had marital problems, serious marital problems. Okay? Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm talking about serious stuff. So you don't ever know what people are struggling to go through. I've, know, I've known at least one of them has had trouble with the child, yeah. one, of their, one of their children. I'm not going to say gender, but it's just, the child's just about killed them. And so... um the point is, you don't know what people are going through, and that's why you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Yeah, and say, God, this is my suffering, my trial. I'm going to trust you to bring me through it. And I want to say too, and I thought you were going this way. I got wrong. I got it wrong. If regarding TV preachers who preach what we call the prosperity gospel, and I think you you kind of talked about this a few episodes ago, the idea that because you're a Christian, you're not supposed to experience suffering is not biblically tenable in any way. The Bible makes it very, very clear that all flesh is like grass, and we just wither away, mm-hmm. that our life is short, and we just kind of blow on. And And the Bible never escapes suffering. And in a moment, we're going to talk about Job, and we've already talked about a number of people. And uh, you, you need to be careful with a theology that says, when I become a Christian, all of my problems are solved. And I get the car, I get the house, I get the health. I get the X, Y, Z. This is never promised in the Bible. You have to twist and turn. You have to uh, take a pair of scissors and clip a number of pages out to be able to pretend that the Bible even says that nothing nothing goes wrong. For every character in the Bible almost, who are real folks, I don't mean <clears throat> character in like a fictional sense, but for every person in the Bible almost, they go through some kind of suffering, trial, anxiety, worry, you name it. They went depression. through it. You were yep. yeah depression. I mean, the Bible addresses all of these things. Yep. Things you you don't get to escape it either. If they were the people used in God's major redemptive plan, like you don't get to escape it e- either. And so, I want to encourage you: don't buy into that stuff. That's a modern thing. That's a made up thing. And that's something that I think, at least modern wise, can only survive in a very influential, um, affluent culture like America in which our relative suffering has gone down well, compared. Well, you and I both have been to Central America mm-hmm. n- n- numerous yeah, times. Yeah, several times. And that theology gets over there because they, we Americans, we gringos come over there, and they kind of look up at us because they think we're blessed mm-hmm. because we have a whole lot more than them, mm-hmm. a lot more money, a lot more possessions and things. I mean— you could take somebody living in a trailer park. You're a king yeah. compared to the people that we've been with. You can and, flush your toilet paper down your toilet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, you can flush your toilet. You can't do that in Central America. You can flush your toilet here, uh, your toilet paper. And uh, and so, that 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 again, that mindset. Mm-hmm. But the word of faith people, mm-hmm. they have never liked me. 
I'm a man of faith, but I'm not word of faith. And word of faith is that name it and claim it, frame it. You know, if you yeah. believe it, it'll happen. and Decree it. Decree it. And if it doesn't happen, you didn't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. Well, my uncle, your great uncle, died with cancer. Your, your papa's older brother, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Sestar, died with cancer. He's 36, 37 years old. So young. Yeah. And uh, everybody, his brother, who was anybody, any every super-duper man of God came by that parsonage and laid hands and prayed for Bob. And Bob mm-hmm. died. And there were a couple idiots. Excuse me. I'm just going to name it. I'm 54 at this point <laughs> in my life. I, I'm, you know, you, you don't do what Those I'm doing. Those people are probably not even listening to this podcast. No, no. But the, the, there, were, there were a couple idiots who actually said to my aunt in her grief, well, you know, if Bob would have had more faith, God would have healed him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. That happened to my uncle, your great uncle, his wife, my aunt. Mm-hmm. My aunt. If, if Bob would have just had more faith. Now, see, that's that's stupidity, and that's that's erroneous doctrine. And I yeah. see, it's damaging. That it didn't is. help my Aunt Barbara, and it's not right. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's appointed unto men once to die. Yeah. You're going to die. You're going to die of something. Mm-hmm. And and that's why the person who says, "Why did my daddy die?" and I'm grieving, you know, these, you know, your daddy's going to die one of these days. You know, you just wanted him around till you died. The thing is, you didn't want to deal with grief and suffering. You know, I know that sounds mean and yeah, cold and heartless, true, yeah. but I'm just saying that's the problem with having a wrong concept of suffering, is that it it, it can make you think and say things that are not in line with the nature and the character of God. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm in agreement with you. Is you got to be careful. Uh, about these concepts you get about, you know, suffering is that mm-hmm. I'll never have anything bad happen to me. That is not true at all. Yeah. That's why the prosperity gospel is, is false doctrine. It's nonsense. As we continue on with Old Testament, when we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, um, he even sees suffering as hopeless, right, for part of the book. So he says, instead, we should just eat, drink, and be merry. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to die. Let's just do what we want to do. But we know that the book ends with him telling us, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and he keep his commands because this is for all of humanity. Well, I'm glad we got to this because I think I think us spending time right here is really, really good. And I know we got a zillion notes, and so we'll just – I'm having more fun flowing, aren't you? I'm having more fun flowing. But I'll, I, the older – I used to not like the book of Ecclesiastes, I think, when I was younger because I just didn't feel like it spoke to me as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoyed it. But now being at the age I am at 54, mm-hmm. I have like this incredible appreciation for Ecclesiastes because I think it's because I'm older and I'm seeing things that, from my perspective. And so, you know, I've been working, I've been in full-time ministry for 32 years. I've been working in some form or fashion probably since I was 14 or 15. Okay. So he says, I love Ecclesiastes because Solomon says, Go ahead and work, but everything you get, you're going to die one day, and it's going to go to somebody else. It's all pointless. And, and, then, and then they may spend it all, waste it all, and you've spent your whole life accumulating all these things, and then <laughs> your kids are going to come along, and they may waste it all. You and, really think Solomon's like a nihilist for the first part of the book. You do. <laughs> and, and it's like, well, that's, that's depressing. But but then you think it's true. Yeah. Because But the reason I said that is because then people just kill themselves to work, yeah. and they're workaholics, and then they kill themselves to accumulate all these toys, adult toys, you know, the big big boy toys, like yeah, boats and cars trucks. and trucks and four-wheelers and golf clubs and memberships. And it's like, he's like, it's all going to go to somebody else, or it's all going to... And so you're, you're right. He, he really kind of gives this good perspective. But the other side is, is that you're going to suffer. You know, he said, I've seen one guy 
you know, do this, and then another guy do this, and the good things happen to this guy, and bad things happen to this guy, and it's like life's not fair, and mm-hmm. life's meaningless. But, but, so I loved what the point is. He said life is going to contain suffering. So he did say, eat, drink, and enjoy the fruit of your labor, mm-hmm. because you're going to work hard, and you're going to suffer. Your work is work. is work. Yeah. And he even said, instead of looking work as a bad thing, try to look at work as a good thing. Try to enjoy your work. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the old saying? If you can if you can find something that you love to do and then get paid for it, that's the best it. <laughs> that's the best job in the world. Yeah. You know, that's that's the job you want to find is find something that you can do that you just absolutely have fun doing and people pay you for it. Mm-hmm. But he said so eat, drink, and enjoy the fruit of your labor. Because there's gonna be enough suffering in this life that if you do get enough money, go buy you a boat. But don't go buy a boat to accumulate things. Go buy a boat so you can go out on the lake and Cruise around, or like I do, go fishing. Whatever. Don't go buy a boat that you can't afford. Don't buy Dave a boat. Ramsey will be watching over you. That's right. Yeah, that's 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 not good. Don't do that. Uh, but but then, like you said, but it says fear God and keep His commandments. Yeah, because ultimately, one of these days, the suffering goes in. Life's going to end. You're going to stand before God. Mm-hmm. So, and then I, mean, I think we're going to go to Job next, right? I, yeah, this is probably the most famous story about suffering. About suffering. That, the whole thing is literally about suffering. Yeah. So, um, basically, Job living his life, and uh, the Bible gives us a little inside picture. The accuser, Satan, wants to come and and sift him like wheat, and wants to um, kind of come after Job and God's test like, him. Yeah, test him, and God's like, "That's fine. Uh, you just can't kill him." And so. He goes and he basically like kills his family except for his wife, takes all of his stuff, gives him terrible health. He's got boils and all kinds of other wonderful things. He's in misery. So then Joe's friends come to help him and support him. So you're thinking, all right, the story is going to get better. Then it's like like almost 40-something chapters of them being like, Job, come on, man. You know you sinned. You sinned. And he's like, no, I haven't. And so he keeps like defending himself this whole time. Like, I promise I haven't sinned, guys. And um, and again, there's that concept yeah. that if I suffer, it's punitive. And this goes way back because the the chronology of the Job story is like, like right after Genesis. It's basically. the oldest book basically in the Bible. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, essentially in chronologically. Yes, you're right. So this goes all the way back way to the, back. the beginning days of Job. Gen- Job is one of the early patriarchs. And and so you're right. And uh, and again, there was that early... See, that goes all the way back to the beginning of humanity. Yeah. As if I've done something... And probably because Adam and Eve sinned and they got punished. Yeah. And so they think, okay, well, we got to do right and we get blessed. We it's get blessed. And if you do simple. wrong... Yeah. yeah. And so I think there was that concept. And those guys were saying, yeah, you, this is punitive. Yeah. What'd you do? Exactly. Up. And Job's like, I didn't do anything. And that's the point is that you can serve God and not do anything mm-hmm. wrong and still suffer. Well, then Job has to deal with this. So I wrote down three things I learned from Job, and then feel free to interject wherever. So in Job 40, 6 through 7, um, Job has been wrestling, like, essentially, why me? Like, why am I suffering and other people aren't? Why am I suffering when I haven't sinned? Why me? And so then it says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Would you really challenge my justice? Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Can you thunder with a voice like his? So the point is being this. One, when we say, God, you're doing me wrong, God says, oh, no, you can't accuse me of injustice. I'm God. And then two, he says, really, his main point is, you aren't God. You don't know everything. And sometimes the suffering, the troubles, and the pain of this world are not meant for your finite mind to understand. So here's my theology. 
and and I'm this isn't just for this episode. Mm-hmm. This is my theology, and 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 this comes out of my personal experience with Christ as well as being a pastor. And I have preached this, and I say this to people. Out of all the questions we can ask in the world, the one that is the best not to ask most of the time is why. Yeah. Because you may not get an answer. Mm-hmm. So when you suffer, when something goes bad, we want to know why. Because there's this sense of justice in us. Mm-hmm. What I want to know if this is fair or not. Because if it's not fair, then I need I need some retribution. But the reality is, sometimes it has nothing to do with fair or in, inequity. It, it, th- there's a totally different mm-hmm. reason that you don't even know. And, you know, really the reality is Job was never told. We know because whoever was given this story about Job yeah, had wrote the insight. Down, yeah. But Job in the story within the narrative Never got the answer. He's just seeing terrible stuff happen. He's asking God, you know, and what Job said, oh, Job is great because, and this is interesting, being as old a book as it is, there were already systems of justice set up Mm -hmm. in humanity. And so there is a courtroom feel to the book of Job. Job Mm -hmm. said, oh, that I could stand before him in the court and plead my case. Yeah. If I could just plead my case, I could say to God, God, I haven't done anything wrong. I've lived right. I've served you. I offered sacrifices. I, I raised my kids right. See what I'm saying? You're mm-hmm. trying to say all, you're trying to prove that I don't deserve this. And he wanted to plead his case uh, because he wanted an answer to why. And he never got an answer. And I think Job's life is kind of, I don't know if the right term is like axiomatic for human existence in the sense that if you're going to ask, well, does that mean that Satan's up there asking to get me all the time? And no, not necessarily, but I think this is a story almost taken to its fullest extent. Things can happen to you up to death, and you don't get an answer. But stuff's going to happen, and so you can either decide to trust God anyways or not, but the reality is something bad is going to happen, and you're not going to know what it is. Exactly, and you may not know for the rest of your life. I mean, I got, we got a man in this church, I'm really close to him, that that tried to start his own business I mean, had a major business deal that was that would make or break him, mm-hmm. and it because of not his fault, because of one other person pulling the plug, pulling the rug out from under the situation, mm-hmm. totally out of his control. The whole deal fell through. Everything fell through. He lost nearly everything. Man, nearly lost everything. And this man serves God, loves God. He and his family, they love Jesus. They have served the Lord. I mean, these are people almost lost everything. He's told me a story more than once. And we've talked about this, is he had those questions. Why did this happen to me? I did everything right, mm-hmm. righteously. I thought I was doing everything right business-wise, but it just it, it imploded on me. Almost lost everything. You don't, we've tried to come up with reasons why. And that's difficult. I know we've kind of been in more of an argumentative tone to those who kind of want to come at God. But in a, in a, in a way, like, that's difficult. For everyday people, yes, I can't imagine. I can't imagine being in his shoes, being in Job's shoes, having all this stuff happening, and then you're really going, like, right. what, "Why? So why is this happening? So, what is going on?" So here's the thing. I mean, it's just we're being real here today, okay? So it happened, and you don't know why. Here's the question: So is that going to determine whether or not you're going to live for God, mm-hmm. trust God, continue to serve God? I think it becomes a faith issue, and I think yeah. that's what's going on with Job. Yeah, absolutely. Job loses. Is. Everything, basically say his businesses were totally obliterated. Yeah. He lost nearly all of his wealth, 
all of his kids are killed. I mean, it's the thing if you lose one child to lose all, all your children them? in the same day when the house collapses and kills all of them. Mm-hmm. And you meanwhile, your wife is telling you, just curse God and die. Yeah. You have nobody supporting you. And here is the thing that it says in all of this, Job did not forsake his righteousness. Well, listen to what he said in Job 13, 15. Um, Job says, yep. though he slay me, yes. yet I will trust well, him. Well, I was going to bring that up. I didn't, yeah. I didn't see it in the notes. But that's right. That's, that shows that Job said, even though I don't know why, and even if God himself kills me. Yeah. How's that for suffering? Yeah. Your obituary read, uh, today, Evan Sestar passed away. He was killed by God. <laughs> 24 years of age. You know what I'm saying? But he said, even if that happens, I'm still going to trust him. Yeah. And I think that's the point is in the middle of the suffering is don't start looking for answers or don't look for somebody to blame. Just run to God and trust him. And then here's the theme that really keeps popping up in all these stories is that Job is then restored and gains double. And so as we think of all these stories, it's, um, you know, Adam and Eve sin, but they're given hope for a savior. Joseph's sold into slavery, but he becomes number two over Egypt. Israel is trapped in Egypt, but they get freed to the promised land. I mean, we want want to keep going. Moses is sent into the wilderness for 40 years as a shepherd, and God raises him and becomes one of the greatest, most well-known people in all of human history as the deliverer of the children of Israel. There is this theme of suffering, but then conquering, suffering and victory. And to be fair, go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, Mm -hmm. and it talks about a category of people who suffered and never got that's right. Their restoration or blessing on this side yeah. of heaven. Yeah. And it talks about that in the Hall of Faith, mm-hmm. chapter 11, that it took them getting to heaven. And that's why Paul said these light and momentary afflictions, afflictions sufferings, are, are, are going to be outweighed by far greater glory. Mm, that's it, good. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the prophets, and then we will hit the Old Testament. Sorry, the... Or the New Testament. The Old Testament's just had some good stuff in here. Yeah. This has just been excellent. I told you this was going to be good, y'all. This is like good stuff. <laughs> um, so the Jeremiah and then the Book of Lamentations, they reveal God's punishment for individuals and nations. So like we said, uh, you know, God will punish that on this side of the earth he disciplines. Uh, on the next side, uh, it's going to be punishment. Um, but all the while, God's grieving for them because God loves his people. He wants them to repent. He wants them to turn. So it's not like God just enjoys punishing. You know, it, he's kind of like the uh, the parent with the old saying, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. You know, like God just, it, obviously he wants his children to love him and, and, and to serve him. So this is kind of a theme within the minor prophets. Then Isaiah gives us a great picture, which is a smooth transition of the Old Testament. He tells us about the suffering servant. In Isaiah chapter 53, which really foreshadows Jesus Christ. The servant is a man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief. He's despised and rejected by men. He bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. He was stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Yet by his stripes, we are healed. Now, if you don't know, tell us. Who is the suffering servant? The suffering servant is Jesus Christ. Exactly. It's a prophecy, a prediction of of him and the one who would uh, carry our griefs and carry our sorrows and suffer in Mm -hmm. our place so that we might be saved and made right with God. Absolutely, which I think is a smooth transition into our New Testament. Let's just go ahead and hop into the Gospels and see what Jesus had to say 
the Gospels um, clearly highlight Jesus' suffering as necessary for his ministry. And I think this is really important. Jesus knew what he came to do. Jesus didn't accidentally get thrown up on a cross. His plans didn't change. He didn't lose. Jesus predicted his death several times to his apostles. He knew that he came to be the suffering servant. Right. And so Jesus was was ready to enter into our suffering, the suffering we produced as fallen humanity, to then redeem us from that. Um, Jesus knew he was going to suffer, but he was deeply moved at the suffering of others. Um, so he he can kind of empathize with us, and he and he hates our suffering. He mourned over the unfaithfulness of Jerusalem, which is uh, you know really really Israel, really the the Jews who would not turn back to him. And he even cried at Lazarus' death. John eleven thirty five. Exactly. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus is standing there, and you know he's the Son of God. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus up. He knows he's going to be resurrected in a little while. And uh, still, he sees Lazarus dead. He sees his family members crying and mourning, and yet he uh, he still wept. And then Christ says that those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness are blessed, and he calls us to carry our cross every day. So not only did Jesus come to suffer, and not only does he mourn with us in our suffering, Jesus kind of calls us to a form of of suffering ourselves. He says, if you're persecuted, especially for righteousness sake, like you were talking about, you're not cursed. You're actually blessed. Well, we do you love the promises of God in the Bible? Absolutely. Okay. There's almost all of them. <laughs> Maybe not that one. <laughs> because there is a promise in the Bible that Jesus said, it, it's in red, that is not one I like. Yeah. He said, and I quote, in this world, you shall have tribulation mm-hmm. or suffering or trial. But then he said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Yeah. But that is a promise, mm-hmm. that if you're going to serve the Lord... That's right. And he said, if they hated me, here's another promise, they're going to hate you. The servants aren't greater than the master. Right. So, again, that's going to be part and parcel, but yeah. like he said, I've overcome the world, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring you through it. Then let's look at Paul. Um, so sufferings are actually a major theme within Paul's writing. And uh, Paul knew suffering intimately. He was rejected by his Jewish brethren, much like Jesus was. He was in prison several times. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was almost killed. Um, He was betrayed by fellow Christians, especially in the last part of his life. He's an old man. His body is in a lot of pain. He is sitting in prison, and then a lot of his friends just peace out on him and don't want anything to do with him, and he's eventually martyred. Scholars think that when he was stoned, was it at Lystra Derby, one of those where he was stoned um, and taken up for dead, Mm -hmm. and they came and gathered around him and prayed, and he got up, up, that actually was a resurrection, that his eyes were damaged, that one of the rocks hit him in the head and damaged his eyes, because, and a lot of scholars think that from that point on, because he had it a... what do you call it, amanuensis, the, the, the writer for you who writes oh, yeah, yeah. amanuensis, I, I, I think. Um, he, uh, he would have somebody write the letters for mm-hmm. him. And if he ever did write one of the letters, he said, see with, what, with, with which large letters I write to mm-hmm. you. He had to write real big letters because he couldn't see real well. Mm-hmm. So Paul suffered not just incidentally, but there was suffering that was long-term, and his body was battered mm-hmm. from the suffering he took for Christ. Yeah, the thing is, I was when we were preparing for this, I thought about um, in Acts, here's the guy who made people suffer. Yeah. He, was the, he was the persecutor of the church. He hated Jesus, and he hated the church. And he's arresting people and throwing them in jail for their faith in Christ. Some of them he murdered. Yeah. So he was a murderer. 
and a blasphemer. He blasphemed Jesus. And so he gives, has the Damascus Road experience, and he's in Damascus for three days. He's blind. He can't see. He's fasting. He's praying. He's had this encounter with Jesus. And Jesus shows up to this guy named Ananias and says, I want you to go lay your hands on him, and I'm going to open his eyes and heal him. And then he said, for I have, um, let's see, he said, uh, let, me, let me find out where he said. He said, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. Mm. So I wonder if Paul had an idea of what he was going to go through. Yeah. Because he said, I got to show him. Mm. Well, we even know that, I can't remember which church it was at, but there, like a prophet came up, and they're like, they bound Paul. And he yeah. said, everywhere Agabus. you go, this is what you're going to have. And Paul's like, I'm ready to die. I'm yeah. ready to go through whatever. Because of what he did, I think what a lot of scholars that, you know, he was, he was young, and he watched the, the, the guys who stoned Stephen to death, they laid their they took their coats off so they could sling the rocks. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And so, so their stuff wouldn't get stolen. They laid him at the feet of Saul, who's Paul, to watch him. So he was like the up-and-coming poster child for the Pharisee party. And, um, and so he was there giving consent to, to Stephen's mm-hmm. death. He, he, was, uh, he, liked, he was all into watching Stephen suffer and die. Yeah. And I think a lot of scholars think that really had an impact on him, mm-hmm. especially after he got saved. That he can never get away with the fact that he was part of the of the uh, partially responsible for the death of the first martyr of the church. Yeah, and I think there was just that side of him that said, you know what, if I, anything I suffer for Christ, I deserve it. Yeah, uh, because of what I've done and because of what Jesus has done for me, that He saved me. Ultimately, we want to give credit to the to the Holy Spirit for producing something in him. But I even wonder if he had like a hardcore personality. Like, I wonder if he's just one of those guys, he's just all in, you know? Yes. And, and which kind of made him part of the up-and-coming Pharisee party, that he just worked. But then also uh, what made him such a good Christian, that he was he was ready to go. Well, I've met matter. people like that, haven't you? Yeah. That, I mean, if they're, in, if they're in sin, they're all in. Mm-hmm. And I've looked at some people, I said, if you ever get saved, you're going to be all in for Jesus, because that's the only way you know mm-hmm. how to live. And I've seen them. People, God will save them, and man, they are like... Can't do anything half-hearted. <laughs> they're going to live for the Lord all the days of their life. Yeah. And, I mean, they're in. They're all in. And I'd rather have somebody like that than somebody's wishy-washy. I agree. Well, let's look at Paul's kind of theology of suffering. So Paul teaches us solidarity in suffering in 1 Corinthians 12, 26 through 27. Uh, he basically says, you know, when, when one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. And so we're going to suffer along with him and cry along with him. Um Paul longs to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. He says, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So Paul has this this theology, really, in a sense, that Paul truly wants to follow after Christ in the most literal way, which I want to follow him into his sufferings. I want to follow him into his death so that I can then follow him into his resurrection. And, uh, and, and, and so Paul is down to do whatever Christ asked him to do. Uh, he tells us that we're heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. That's in Romans eight seventeen. And so Paul kind of gives that condition on, on us that persecutions are going to come. People are going to try and get you to stop being Christians. You may be, um, they may tempt you with your life, uh, and you have to suffer with them, but you get to be raised with them. Paul says in Romans 8, 35 and 37, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. So Paul tells us that, yeah, 
We're going to have tribulations. We're going to have trials. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us, nor does it mean that it could separate us from the love of God. But it's through these things like Christ that we are made conquerors. So get real practical here, and you're all over it. When I'm suffering, God's still with me. Yep. I'm not, he's not, it doesn't distance me from him. Yeah. Who can separate me? It doesn't, it doesn't separate me from his love. He still loves me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you suffer, you wonder if God even loves you. Yeah. Because why would I be going through this? No, that doesn't change his love for you. So I think those are two really important things. And then in suffering, you're more than a conqueror. So you can overcome the suffering. Yeah. And there are there is some suffering that is lifelong, mm-hmm. and that can be usually physical, some kind of physical <laughs> ailment. But a lot of suffering in life is temporary. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's right. And so sometimes you feel like you're going through that night season, and it's you're hurting and you're crying and you're it's just difficult. But if you could just hang in there, the the morning will come mm-hmm. and the suffering will end. And um, and, and I, it's just trusting yeah. God. And I think on that, this last quote from Paul, I think is excellent, especially in an eternal perspective. Second Corinthians four sixteen through 18, he says, Therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. And so I think Paul gives us two things that one, sometimes our suffering produces in us Christ's likeness because we're following after Christ. We're having to trust in Christ that um, that may be an opportunity for you to love your enemy. It may be an opportunity for you to stay faithful to Christ, X, Y, Z. And then two, Paul says in light of that, we're staying focused on eternity. And so like you said, joy comes in the morning and the ultimate morning which is going to be the never-ending day, there's going to be no more night, is when Christ comes back for us. And so Paul is trying to teach us, like, hey, put on eyes that only see eternity. And and that's why he calls it momentary light affliction. Now, he can be in prison, being beaten and flogged and all this good other stuff, and he's like, yeah, it's light. It's whatever. Like, I love Paul because you just can't get him, right? They're just like, they're, they're saying, they're like, hey, we're going to throw you in prison. Well, to live is Christ. Well, we're going to kill you. Well, to die is gain. Like, it doesn't matter. You can't get this guy because everything is in light of Christ, in the light of eternity, knowing it's producing Christ in him, whatever you throw at him. Right now, in our little studio that we have in our hidden bunker, yeah. here in, in, in the Very hidden, fancy. hidden location in South Carolina, <laughs> uh, you and I are talking in these mics, and we, we have these filters, black filters that we're speaking through to help with our voices and with the recording. And Paul filtered everything in life through his knowledge of Jesus and the Word of God. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to get through life and through suffering is make sure you filter it through the Word of God. And it helps you then to see that, yeah, I'm suffering, but one, one day it'll be worth it all, yeah. or it will end, or God is faithful, or God will see me through, or, or God will give me the strength to go on. God will help me to endure God's teaching me lessons. God's changing me in, in this in this crisis. So you just you look through the filter. But I think that's a great uh, a great uh, way to look at it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Is that uh, I, he he's like 
It was like there was a guy that I, pa- I, I helped pastor. It was when I was associate pastor, Fred West. Fred got cancer, and it was terminal, and he was a cowboy. Fred was like a real true blue cut cowboy. The big really? belt buckle, the cowboy hat, the boots. He was like, and his last name was West. I mean, come on. <laughs> but he was a real now, cowboy. Now, where was this at, though? It was in Greer okay, okay. at Praise Cathedral. And um, Fred West had a saying because he filtered, see everything in the Word of God. And so he's dying, he's married, he's, you know, but he would, but you would talk to me and say, you know, are you down? He'd say, nope. He said, he's Lord on this side of the Jordan and he's Lord on the other side of the Jordan. So whether I'm on this side of the Jordan and the other side of the Jordan, everything's going to be all right. Wow. That's, that's great. That's what he'd say. I've never heard anything like that before. Yes. The Jordan scenario. That's yeah, the great. Jordan. And so that was his thing. And you would talk to him and it's not like he said it you know, every five minutes, yeah. but it was, it was the anchor mm-hmm. that kept him. And I went to his house to see him the day before he died. I had no idea that that would be the last time I'd see Fred. Yeah, And we were talking and I was there to minister to him and I was about to leave. I was going to have prayer with him and leave, not realizing that would be the last time I'd see Fred on this side. Of the... And I said, Fred, I said, I wanted to hear him say, I said, is he still Lord? And he said, yep. He's Lord on this side of the Jordan, and he's Lord on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, wow. So whether he's on, whether I'm on this side of the Jordan or the other side of the Jordan, doesn't matter. Everything's going to be all right. Wow. And that was those were the last words I heard him say. And then the next day, we get the phone call that Fred went to the other side Across of the Jordan. Across the Jordan. So, again, it's that filtering, kind of like Paul. Mm-hmm. Is, it's, it's what helps. It's perspective. Yeah, that's good. Divine perspective. That's really good. Yeah. Well, let's finish out just by taking a very quick look at two other books of the Bible, and and then we'll close out. Um, The author of Hebrews tells us, and this is really comforting to to me and I'm sure to all of us, Hebrews tells us that Christ can sympathize with our weakness since he himself was tested and suffered. I think that's one thing that's really interesting. And, you know, we had our our episode on God's, um, it was really four-part communicable and incommunicable attributes. We talked about how God knows everything, but in this really weird way God... I want to put it the right way. God had not experienced suffering till his incarnation because the divine nature cannot experience suffering. Right. But in this really unique way, God can sympathize with our suffering by experience because in Christ he became a man and he really suffered and he really died. And so he knows what you're going through. Through the incarnation. Through the incarnation. Through through the joining of human nature to divine nature. Yes. Because that's the only way he could experience suffering. Exactly. Because humans suffer, gods don't. But he did. He did it for us. And so now the God you serve, he gets it. He gets like he has been there. He went through agonizing suffering. Like he he lived a, a, a whole lifetime. Like he gets it. And so it's one of those things that when we when we go to Christ, he's not distant from us or like he just doesn't understand. He is right there with you. And so Find comfort in that. Find peace in that, that God's been there with you. Um, this is interesting, and maybe you can help me with this a little I, bit. I, I, I am prepared because I, when I looked at the notes, Good. I said, Evan will set me up on this one. I, I'm, I'm ready for it. I thought through it a little bit, but I'd rather you explain it than me explain it. You ready for this? This is Hebrews 5, 7 through 8. It says, Christ learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Um, here, here's the actual quote, but that's the point. During his earthly life, He offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, 
how in this world did God learn anything? I have a feeling it kind of has to do with what we just talked about. All right, so here's the answer to that. So we don't want anybody thinking that that this would then diminish the deity of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. We have reiterated, and we'll do it again, that when Jesus came to this earth, the Christmas story, God became man. He was 100% God, 100% man. Mm-hmm. It was never the subtraction of deity. It was just the addition of humanity. Yeah. So Jesus was God in reality. All right, but then he takes on a human body, which was human, human nature. So divine nature, human nature um, coming together. And so when when you talk about learning obedience, the key, and your translation is a little different um, than the, the New King James, which I use. So I think the New King James helps us better here. Okay. Instead of during his earthly life, it, it's, it says in the days of his flesh. Mm, that's good. So I think that's the better translation here. In the days of his flesh. The reason I say that is because now we're talking about his flesh, his humanity. Mm -hmm. So let me say this. Jesus did not have to unlearn disobedient behavior. That's exactly what I was thinking at home when I wrote this down. So he didn't have to unlearn disobedient behavior. It's not like he was doing something wrong and then he had to learn how to be obedient. That's not what that's Mm -hmm. saying. That's impossible because obviously he was sinless. Mm -hmm. All right. So again... It's emphasizing his humanity in the days of his flesh. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, the human nature did not want to suffer, Mm -hmm. did not want to die. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Okay? Mm -hmm. So I don't want to do what's wrong. But um, his human nature, even though he didn't want to suffer, the human nature learned obedience to the divine nature. That's good. And so the human nature, through that prayer and that process, submitted to the will of the Father, which is very, very important. Mm -hmm. And he submitted to the will of the Father. And and when doing so, the human nature learned how to walk in obedience and walk stride in stride with the divine nature without Mm -hmm. faltering um, how by suffering and going to the cross. That's good. So Jesus was not previously sinning and then needed to learn how to be obedient. He was confronted with a unique kind of first-time opportunity to obey in the flesh by going to the cross. To avoid suffering. To avoid suffering. And he had to that's learn correct. the flesh side, had to learn. And, that's why and to be clear, he got it right the first time, never sinned. He no. nailed it. And that's why the Garden <laughs> of Gethsemane story is there for us in the yeah. Gospels to show us that the human side, even though he knew the, the divine, he was predicting this was going to happen. Yeah, he but said, the, this is why I'm here. But he gets to the eve, the night before. It's like if you got, know you're going to have surgery the next day and it's the night before and you start going, oh, God, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning, Lord Jesus, and cut they're going to knock yeah. me, yeah, they're going to put me under and cut me open. And, oh, you know, people could get a little antsy mm-hmm. because it's the eve. So I think it was on the eve of it. But his flesh learned to submit to the will of God. And I, I wrote this down. Um, we talk about Jesus and his suffering. You know, he, he was a man of sorrow, acquainted with the grief, and he suffered as, as a man mm-hmm. and eventually suffered with the, the, the beatings and the mm-hmm. nails and then eventually died. The Bible makes it really, really clear, and I think John's really good at this, the Gospel of John, that the secret of his triumph over suffering was his identification with the will of his Father. Mm. He knew what the Father wanted, and he said, that's what I'm going to do. And if it costs me, if it hurts me, if it pains me, it doesn't matter. 
I'm going to go through it because I want to do what God wants me to do. Do you think this gives us hope that if Christ can, uh, in a sense, train his human nature to submit to the will of the Father, can we not learn obedience too? Yes, and And, I think that's why Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, wrote this, first of Mm -hmm. all, to tell us that Jesus went through the suffering, and now he empathizes with us as a great high priest who lives to intercede for us when we're struggling. Mm -hmm. But I also think that if you know you are doing what God desires you to do, and you suffer, your obedience to the Lord takes the sting out of the suffering. That's good. That's good. In other words, it gives it purpose. Mm -hmm. So you can say, I'm going through a difficult time, whatever, but I'm living for the Lord. I'm living for Jesus. If he didn't want me to go through this, I wouldn't go through it. I don't understand why. Mm -hmm. I don't have an answer to the why, but I do know that I'm living for the Lord. He loves me. So if I'm if he wants me to go through this, I'm going to ask him to take it away. He might hear, hear and answer my prayer. But like the Apostle Paul, he may not. Mm-hmm. Paul prayed three times. Remember, he had a thorn in the flesh. He yeah. was suffering three times. You know, here's a guy who went to heaven, caught up yeah. in the heaven. So if anybody could get a prayer through, Paul yeah, could. be Paul. And three times he prays, and the Lord said, nope. Nope, nope. And mm-hmm. he said, you're going to learn something. It's my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Mm. And Paul said, okay, then I'm going to glory in my suffering. Because in my suffering, that's when I know the power of God in my life. Yeah. And sometimes the power of God brings us out, and sometimes the power of God takes us through it. Mm. Now, we all want God to bring us out of our suffering because we want it to end. But having done some suffering in my own life, on numerous occasions in various ways, I've learned that sometimes you just go through it. Yeah. You know, the old preacher cliche is you got to go through it to get to it. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes you just got to go through it. Yeah. I think that's good. And and it makes me think, and I think I've heard this before, but uh, even going back to the birth analogy that it's really, really painful. And then when the baby comes, you realize that it's worth it. And so God may ask you to do some things or go through some things that are really, really painful but when you get to the other side and you're still serving God and you're still faithful to him, you realize that it's worth it. Yeah, exactly. Um, let me ask you about this one because I want to, and then we'll be done very, very soon. It says this, Hebrews 2.10 says, For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, I thought God was perfect. So how in tarnation... Is he making God <laughs> perfect? He was already perfect. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, that tarnation is Evan's keyword. That's his thing. <laughs> How in tarnation? If you were if you were just around him daily, that uh, he's a tarnation man. <laughs> okay, I guess that's all those people in North Carolina, tarnation. Um, oh, that's Tar Heel Nation. Sorry. All right. So you're right. Jesus is perfect. God is perfect. So it can't mean that. It yes. can't mean that that. And you had pioneer that should make the author of their salvation. Sorry, I so here's the story behind all this. Elizabeth got me the ancient faith study Bible for Christmas. I uh-huh. love it. But the translation is CSB, so I'm just forcing myself to like CSB. Okay. That's why all this is CSB. That's the CSB stuff. Okay. <laughs> you need to go back to N, NJKV and NKGV. Anyway. Um, so it should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. So obviously it can't mean perfect as in Morally perfect. Mm-hmm. Jesus is already morally perfect. 
all any preachers who are listening to our podcast right now, they're all they're all screaming, yeah, I know the answer, I know the answer yeah. is that the word perfect in the Bible is normally translated complete or whole. Mm-hmm. So it means that he's made complete or whole. So let me give you the answer here, and it's a pretty simple one. It's not the perfecting of Jesus' personal holiness. He, he, what he's saying is that through through the suffering, okay, um, Jesus is made completely our Savior and completely our example, okay, because mm-hmm. he suffered in this life. So, so because he was in the flesh and he suffered, that suffering sort of completed his work as Savior. Mm-hmm. And as our example that we can follow. All right, so what does that mean? So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, look, on the cross, he said it is finished. It, it was through the cross that he became our Savior. There's no right. salvation and, outside of the sufferings and the death. Right. Yeah. So he, he, the, the author of our salvation, the mm-hmm. one who, who's all behind it, who creates it, who's the, impl- the, the one who implements salvation mm-hmm. to us, he, he is complete through the sufferings. It is the suffering that completed the It is finished. Father, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. He died. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's completed. The work is completed, but also his role as Savior is complete. That's why now he doesn't have to do anything else. I can look to Jesus and he is my Savior. The work is done. And I can look at him as my example. And I can say, man, I'm going through a hard time. Well, so did Jesus. What did he do? Well, he did the will of the mm-hmm. Father. He prayed. He trusted God. And even when God said no, and he had to go. Is Father, is it possible let this cup pass for me? Nope. You got to go to the cross. It, yeah. Okay, then not my will, your will be done. Mm-hmm. He's my example of how to deal with things. If I pray and God brings me out, <laughs> hallelujah, I'm going to shout Sunday. Mm-hmm. If I pray and God says, nope, you're going to go through this for a while, then I say, okay, your will be done. I just want to be in the center of your will. You'll get me through this. Yeah, that's good. You know, and that's so, real good. Yeah. So that's what it means. So we're good. Jesus didn't have to be made perfect no. in a divine no you you can't make something perfect or someone perfect that's already perfect that's right so it's complete or whole he he was he was he was finished his work is finished and finally um let's just look at at this last and this is it this is all we got but i i think it's appropriate is the book of revelation we already really mentioned this earlier but revelation paints a picture um of eternal suffering for those who reject jesus and so the reality is that suffering will suffering will be a reality for a lot of people, forever, which is sad, which is really, really sad to think about. Um, but the truth is, is that rejection of God brings suffering. When you reject God, when you choose to do life apart of God, apart from God, it's not life at all. It's not paradise. It's not where God is. It's not God's life, and and you are choosing to live a life of suffering. And so that is what you will reap for all of eternity. The good news is that for those who trust in Christ and serve Christ and maybe have to suffer here now for him, will spend eternity free of suffering, where their tears will be wiped away, paradise will be restored, and um, and this is all coming to an end someday. And so go read Revelation. You get a beautiful, beautiful picture of that. Yeah, especially the end. It's, it, it ends with that, that great picture. So we've gone through the scriptures. I had some notes uh, that I had taken, actually taken a a picture on my phone on purpose to have this. And as I was scrolling through my photos, I found this. I think it was just a God thing. Uh, a guy named Sam Chand, mm-hmm. C-H-A-N-D, who is a tremendous leadership expert. I've, I've heard him speak. I've read a lot of his books. Wrote a book called Leadership Pain. 
and it's a fantastic book, and every mm-hmm. pastor ought to read it. Every pastor. It's one of those books that every pastor ought to read. It, it ought to go in your library. And, and Sam Chan, so I want to give him credit, um, said a number of things, but I picked five things about suffering. They're sort of the conclusions about suffering. So if it's okay, mm-hmm. I want to share these yeah. just real quick. One, when you're suffering, God never abandons you, even when you cannot feel his presence. Mm. So don't forget that. He's, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He said, I'm a very present help in the time of your trouble. Okay, two, your faith and character are developed more powerfully during suffering. Now, mm. I think that's true. I also think that character is revealed during suffering. That's good. Okay, but it is developed. And so I've said this before, and I always think it's worth saying, you take the nine fruit of the Spirit, which we want in our life, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith, long-suffering, or patient endurance. The last one, you cannot learn patient endurance or long-suffering unless you suffer through something. We've talked about this mm-hmm. before. So you don't like that. But if the only, the only way I'm going to learn how to patiently endure a hard time is I've got to go through a hard time. Hard time. <laughs> okay? so, but then I become more like Jesus. Here's the third thing. Sometimes God delivers you from suffering, but more often he delivers you through it. Mm -hmm. I think I've already talked about that. For when you think, uh, or rather, when you trust God in difficult times, your stumbling blocks become stepping stones of growth. Wow. So I thought that was a great line by him. Um, and, and, And if you'll let it, you can learn and grow from it. Okay. And then finally, during suffering, he... Sam Chan said, and this is a really good way, I think, to end. He said, focus on God's grace, focus on God's greatness, and focus on God's wisdom. Mm. Isn't that good? That's really good. So focus on his grace, focus on his greatness. Whatever I'm going through, God's bigger. And then focus on his wisdom. God That's knows, really good. He knows better. Yeah. If he tells me yes, he'll bring me out. He knows better. If he tells me no, then he knows better. Yeah. So. Look, uh you know, maybe you're going through a period of suffering or somebody you know is, and uh, we hope that this episode's kind of been a help to you today to to really think rightly through it and to not feel alone, to not feel kind of shocked or, or anything like that. But ultimately, we hope that it's built your faith in Christ, um, that God's with you through this, He's going to get you through this. And I think really what you and I have tried to do in this episode is is build hope through this. That the world doesn't have hope through suffering, but we have hope that it makes us better, that it's stepping stones to God, that it builds us up in Christ, and ultimately that there's a day when it's going to end. And so we hope that your faith is built, that your hope is built up. Um, So look, thank you so much for listening today. Send this episode to somebody who needs it. Um, Share the whole podcast in general. Give us a rating, give us a review, and we will see you back in a couple of weeks. 